Bigger than cakes. Give me some outside. Welcome to Bigger Than Capes. I'm Zach, and once again this week, I'm joined by Angela. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, yes. Um, we've done a lot of Zach and Angela episodes, I think just because, I don't know, we're reading a lot of stuff. and Yeah, we're able to talk about things. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much. M- most of the reasons outlined yeah. as such. We, It's easier for us to get together and read books. Yeah. Or read books and then get together, as is often yeah. the case. Um, we're coming off quite a lot of Angela books. Very Angela books, um, yes. Time Before Time, I think. Exo Man of War. Jules yeah, Verne's Lighthouse. Yeah. Hellcop. Hellcop, yeah. Um, so now we're into a more Zach book. Yes. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, we've both read it. So, <laughs> yeah. And we both read the stuff beforehand so last year i don't think we did a dedicated episode but we talked quite a lot about alice in leatherland on yeah it came up in our did we yeah it came up in a couple of different episodes like what i say best of 2021 yeah i think it was in there and i'm also inclined to go like that episode we did about like where to start with comics yeah it was one of those yeah um that sounds true. That all sounds, that adds up. I would believe us. Um, I feel like it might have creeped into our like Pride Month episode. I think it did. Although that was one of our most chaotic discussions, so it's hard to know what we did and didn't talk. About. We did not plan that, and it kind of showed. Yeah, we. I think we were under the impression that we were just going to wing it and have an incredibly <laughs> structured discussion instead just kind of shouted titles at each other for an hour and then <laughs> left the room um yeah maybe this pride month will <laughs> we should probably start getting on that now coherent products that... yeah i like to think everyone who listened i like to think it's like the pixies though or the velvet underground that you know like everyone who bought a pixies album apparently formed a band i like to think that everyone who heard the the chaos <laughs> the, the pride month episode went out and formed their own more coherent podcast <laughs> They all, yeah, oh. they, they all went out like, I can do better than this. And to be fair, most people probably could. You just needed notes and a structure. Oh, we had notes. They were just completely conflicting notes. <laughs> Two people True. making notes about completely different formats for an episode. Anyway, um, I don't think that had anything to do with anything. Um, no, but it's an introduction of sorts. Yes. So let's let's go from there. This week, we're going to be talking about a thing called Truth from Image Comics and Shadowline, um, which is written, lettered, and covered, <laughs> doesn't sound <laughs> right, uh, by Yolanda Zanfardino, and uh, the art and other covers are by Elisa Romboli. Additional covers from Mika Andolfo and Ivan Tau. Editor was Melanie Hackett. Communications was Mark Lombardi. <laughs> Publisher was Jim Valentino. Production was Brett Evans. And 
fur image, Eric Eric Stevenson. <laughs> I, this is why we don't just read credits pages. Because... <laughs> yeah, this is why I tried not. Essentially, most of those people were also credited this is on Hellcop. Here's a fun fact. I just didn't read out the whole page. In- interesting thing about Shadowline, <laughs> the same people work from them on a trade that comes out one week as works for them on a trade <laughs> that came out the following week. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, um... The, the the most important words you you've heard here are Yolanda Zanfardino and Elisa Romboli. Yeah. The, the ones who, you know, made the comic, wrote the book, drew the book, yeah. co- covered the book, lettered the book. Um and previously did Alice in Leatherland. Alice in Leatherland, that was the yeah. connection. You can find all of my reviews for Alice in Leatherland and the first four issues of a thing called Truth at biggerthancapes.com. Uh, this is me remembering to plug the other things we do. Yeah. And we also have a coffee page. So if you like the things we do, support us, please. Yeah. So we can buy buy coffee. I'm pretty sure we have to buy <laughs> coffee with that money. Um, That's the rule. Yeah. You have to... Anything someone gives you through coffee has to become coffee, I think, is like the... <laughs> But then you can use that coffee to barter for other things. Yeah, can can I? I don't know. Maybe we need to create our own like Patreon coffee type thing called like Comix or. No. <laughs> I I don't know. I'm <laughs> speculating. Lost at sea here in my concepts. Um, but yeah, I, we we talked previously about Alice in Leatherland. I think yeah. I touched on Midnight Radio as well at yeah. some point and. You know, different different stuff. <laughs> I think our truth is kind of a weird one to explain. Yes, it is. We we start with Doctor Magdalene Trauma. Did we Trauma? Yeah. I'm just gonna let you be the one that uses the German accent. Okay. Um, who is basically working for a medical company, pharmaceutical company? And he's on the verge of changing the world with some new vague devices she's perfected that are ten times cheaper than everybody else and way better than everybody else, but vague. She goes home one night, and when she comes back the next day, she doesn't work there anymore because they've kind of faked her resignation. And as you do when someone's faked your resignation, uh, loses it, drinks quite heavily, passes out in the back of a car and uh, wakes up to find she's kind of been kidnapped, low-key kidnapped Mm -hmm. by Dorian Wildfang, who is setting out on a road trip around Europe to recreate the scenes from her brother's favourite films. And hilarity, chaos, romance ensues, I guess. A bit of everything. Um, That's kind of the initial premise. It's it's not a standard book to explain. It's... (laughs) It is. It reads very like a movie. If that makes any sense. That, That does. And I think it is kind of on brand for what it is the movie influence is clearly present in the recreation of iconic scenes yeah around europe um there is kind of deeper plot threads for both mag and 
Dorian. Yes. Uh, Dorian's journey has been brought on basically by the death of her brother from a, a mysterious disease that's also killed her mother that she might also have. Some genetic disease, yeah. Yes, that presumably runs quite in, deep in the family. Yeah. Um, and I, I think... I'm going to get this out there early. One of my few complaints about this is how vague kind of some concepts are. So the we know Mag works for this pharmaceutical company developing devices. We know Dorian's <laughs> family have been have had some kind of shared illness that has killed two of them and left Dorian by herself. But we don't know what the disease is. And I... I I appreciate that that doesn't particularly matter. It's the great uh, concept and her story isn't about her family. It's about the journey her family kind of, uh, her brother puts her on. Because um, he's left in his personal effects a kind of future travel diary of where he would like to go and what he would like to do. Yeah. Um, which spurs on dorian to steal a car that happens to have a doctor asleep in the back of it <laughs> as you do um on the mag side of things we see that she aside from kind of being tossed out by her company after you know changing the world and then being kind of cartoonish villains of you know the kind of big farmer evil you know, we could change the world and do this at the tenth of a price for everybody else, but instead we can do it slightly cheaper and make all the money. Yeah. And I think that's more or less direct dialogue from issue one. That, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, we also see her ex-husband, Naval, kind of trying desperately to get her to sign divorce papers that she's just dismissive of. And these are all plot threads that kind of start our journey and we see in the first two issues quite prominently that then kind of disappear a bit. They do. They're... Let's get this out of the way now. If you're looking for a resolution, there ain't one here. <laughs> yeah, I I don't mind in a lot of ways because the story becomes about Mag and Dorian and this is what we said when we reviewed issue one on the podcast, which we're on now. Yeah, the, the <laughs> I previous... I don't know why I'm like this, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> previous podcast, what we did. We did say that it, the vagueness of... We don't know anything about Dorian in issue one. No, issue one is all we... about Mag, issue two is all yeah. about Dorian. Mostly about Dorian. Um, so we did say when we discussed issue one six or seven months ago that we weren't sure where this was going to go or how much the story with the you know um the doppel crews don't know what yeah. accent that was meant to be <laughs> uh the doppel crews pharmaceutical company we yeah. didn't know how much that was going to matter and if that was going to be central to the story, if they were going to get their comeuppance, if this was going to turn into a revenge story, yeah. it kind of falls by the wayside. But what also confused me here is we see a kind of Velma and Louise-esque 
Did I say Velma and Louise then? Do I mean you did, Thelma? yeah. The, the popular Scooby-Doo, <laughs> the Scooby-Doo crossover. crossover yeah. Yeah. Um, the Thelma and Louise-esque opening sequence of them kind of jumping over a massive bridge and being yeah. hot pursuit by the cops. I, <laughs> I'm kind of making this up. I'm not sure. No, this is what happens. Um, which is something else that we don't come back to. Which... No is interesting in that sense i i like how this ends i i think it's got a good ending except that i'm still a little bit like but what was that beginning yes i feel like something gets lost along the way almost as if this this was always solicited to be five issues as far as i can tell but I do feel like something doesn't pan out in the storytelling. Um, it feels like, having read the end, that that whole beginning section of them being pursued by the cops, yes, it is a, a Thelma and Louise reference, and this is a book full of movie references, but it feels extraneous, like we don't need it. Ultimately, it's because it doesn't go back to that. We don't go any further and the ending that we do get is very satisfying and emotionally fulfilling and i'm like okay i can end it there i don't need that bit to go back to that bit at the beginning because what we've got is fine so at the same time i'm like why was that beginning bit there yeah this this is kind of my feeling i think the overall story is a kind of romance it well not kind of it, it is a romantic comedy of- it is of two completely op- of opposites, the reckless, um, reckless chaotic Dorian, and the kind of needs to learn to let go, man. Yeah, who has been you know always had a plan, always known what she was doing in life, has always done what she'd expected to do finding herself kind of cut loose from everything she knew, the research she dedicated her life to, the ex-husband she just ignored. <laughs> uh, all, all those kind of things f- kind of falling away in her for the first time, being in a position to, you know, cut loose and do what she wants. Yeah. But she doesn't know what she wants to do and instead kind of becomes part of Dorian's mad jaunt around the... Around Europe, recreating, yeah. yeah. Um, But as the road trip progresses, you know, they both kind of realise they have feelings for each other and, you know, classic rom-com stuff. Yeah, it's it's classic odd couple rom-com stuff, like, these people are polar opposites. How How will they get along? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, But I think it's very good at that. I think it is fun. And funny, and there's this emotional core. They both agree, I think, in issue two, that they're not going to talk about their past or kind of ask any que- any personal yeah. questions. So Mag doesn't have to deal with the big company, you know, getting rid of her, or the ex-husband. Dorian doesn't have to deal with being potentially ill or her the death of her brother, the death of her, yeah. f- of her mother as well. Which kind of creates a dynamic of... There is the possibility that the point of the story is letting go of the past and 
the you know big pharmaceutical company doesn't matter the death of the brother isn't dorian's story so it yeah can be let go however some of that stuff does come up again at the end and it did all feel very neatly connected you know the death of the brother mag working on the devices that would save lives it felt like there was a neat medical yeah it felt like i thought we were gonna go somewhere with that and like we were gonna have mag was you know her devices were directly related to the illness that dorian's family suffer from it felt like that was where it was going and it it didn't go there which is fine because like i said i don't mind what happened but again and it also feels like the way that she was laid off was like oh yeah big farmer because we know big farmer's evil yeah but it, again it felt like because we didn't actually see any denouement like the ex-husband doesn't you know reveal that the pharmaceutical company are evil lying terrible people um again it's like she could have been let go from her job any number of ways the important thing is she loses her job and she loses her purpose and then she gets drunk and ends up in the car and has to rediscover herself and all the rest of it and go on a journey uh quite literally so again it but it doesn't feel like we needed to have her being screwed over aside from well this is what pharmaceutical companies do i mean we all know that is what they do but it could have just been oh we're cost cutting and she's like well my device could change the world yeah but it's costing too much so we're letting you go Mm. you could equally have done it that way as opposed to well we're gonna use you to make all the monies um so yeah again it it, it's it's fine because like i said it gets mag where she needs to be which is drunk in the back of a car um as you do. Um, but at the same time, the fact that we don't really come back to that and it doesn't really have an overall impact. It does crop up again later on, but again, nothing comes of it. Mm. So, yeah, but I did feel like there was going to be, as soon as sort of we saw Dorian's brother lying in a hospital, I was like, oh, maybe Mag's device is going to solve this mysterious illness, but we don't actually get or that. Or not. Or not. Uh, but we never get that connection directly drawn between them. I agree. Uh, that is... My expectation was that that, that was all going to tie itself together. Yeah. And it does not. Um, which is fine. I, I, you know, as you've said, it, it doesn't have to go that way. And it's kind of okay that it doesn't. I I like... I think both Dorian and Mag are good characters and as a focus. Yeah. Um their story is a good and pretty relatable one, I think. Yeah. I mean it's it's overblown and ridiculous, but Yeah. <laughs> and they as as a pair, their interactions are really, really good because as with the best romantic comedies, you know, they have moments where they sort of have that splitting up and then coming back together and dramatic reunion and all, you know, all the classic good rom-com tropes. And the way that they sort of talk to each other, the past doesn't matter because they're here now and they're getting to know each other. Mm. And they clearly have a connection, even though it's like, you know, you drive me up the wall. Um, And it does feel very real for that. Um, even though those are classic rom-com tropes, it feels like a very real relationship of two people who have flaws, um, yeah, who aren't perfect. Um, you know, falling in love and 
sort of not realising it to some degree. Definitely. Well said, Angela. Thank you. Um, I It's hard to not kind of compare this to Alice in Leatherland. I was doing that while I was reading it, yes. I, I think whilst they're both very different stories, I mean, they're not. <laughs> but both are kind of romantic comedies. Yeah. From different angles, but they are. And both tell the story of someone kind of leaving their past behind to try and find something new in... Alice in Leatherland, it's the story of Alice leaving the small town she lives in to go and live in San Francisco. I can't remember where she's from originally. No. Um, Breaking up with her ex and, you know, running away to find work as a uh, fairy tale writer in San Fran. Uh, Here it's, you know, Mag running away from the kind of life she's always lived yeah, somewhat against her will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so they are very comparable stories. Uh, they are both illustrated by Elisa Romboli as well, which obviously aesthetically gives them similarities. Yeah. There are things here in her art that I, I really like. I like that we kind of see a lot of consistent colouring. I think... The scene is very much set by the colouring a lot of the time, which obviously is not uncommon in comics. But I think what's noticeable here is full pages will be like, this is a blue page, this is a green page, this is yeah. the orange page or the pink page, which was kind of the case. Alice in Leatherland very much had, I think it was like pinks. Very pink. Yeah, it was all pinks or orangey pinks. Yeah, yeah. like sh- different shades of pink from start to finish and it works for that i think this has more variety but benefits from the kind of this is the color and this sets this mood and here we go i think that's a good basis we also see things like uh the hairstyle mag has is kind of has two pieces of hair that are very reminiscent of like anime manga kind of hair of like like full metal alchemist where we see the kind of simplified drawings of the brothers at times where they've got just like the little bit of hair sticking up or yeah um like yugi from Oh, who has such predominant hair (laughs) that you can simplify it to just like you know triangles triangles and zigzags and you know who that is so that kind of manga art style influence comes in on and off there are certain panels where you see mag completely simplified down but the hair is this like hey that's what mag looks like or yeah just little things like that the the little chibi versions we see on the map driving the little car very much do that admittedly dorian is more defined by the kind of big eyebrow piercing than very much so yeah, I, I think the little chibi versions where we kind of see the, you know, eyebrow piercings and manga hairstyles accentuated are a cute little representation of the characters. Overall, I think art is pretty great. We're kind of yep. 
cartoonish and ridiculous, but kind of, I think the emotions come across quite genuinely. I don't think there's, while there's obviously some exaggeration and I feel there's quite a lot of mag screaming. (laughs) There is a lot of mag screaming and she does it so well. Like it very much, the art really is good at conveying the fact that Mag is sort of like, ah, about life and the world and the way she gets annoyed at Dorian and the way that she just, yeah, just sort of everything. She's big and loud and her emotions come across really, really clearly. Like I say, it is a bit cartoonish, but it completely works. You are never in any doubt how Mag feels at any point. No, and I I feel like we said similar things about Alice in Leatherland. It was, yeah, very similar art conventions in that the emotion is all there not only just in the face but also the whole way that the characters are drawn yeah 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 and um i i do think uh yolanda zanfordino's lettering does a good job as well i mean we don't particularly get a lot of sound effects but we get a lot of a lot of laughing from dorian and we get the occasional onomatopoeia sound effects things with um, when Mag is drunk at the start, we, she's got kind of bubbles all around her and we get a little pop and we get kind of sound sound effects when kind of randomly, I think almost. They're not a consistent feature. They come up when they will. Yeah. But not. At every turn like we will me and will read um a righteous thirst for vengeance a couple of weeks indeed ago indeed you did yeah so much kind of sound effects on a matter worked in that here this is quite minimal but when it is there i think it accentuates that kind of manga cartoonish nature to the the artwork it does it, it definitely lends itself to, like I said, and it's used sparingly, mm. but when it does, and that's a good thing because when it is used, it has more of an impact and it's more interesting to have it used sort of at some point. And there isn't a specific logic to when it gets used. <laughs> no, it's it seems purely like the lettering is being done and the decision is made. You know what? Sound effect. Yeah, I'm um, gonna put one in here. Yeah, I, I think overall the lettering is just just very very consistent. I don't think it's mm. it's hard to say anything other than that. I think it does exactly what it needs to do throughout. Yeah. Um. Uh, but you're the lettering. Yeah, as as the lettering connoisseur. Yeah, it does. It works well. And what's nice as well is that, because at points there's a lot of dialogue, and one of the problems that you get when there's a lot of dialogue is the lettering gets to be a bit obtusive and kind of, oh, God, here we go, here's another speech bubble. Looking at you, Marvel's Exiles. Anyway. (laughs) Um, But here, even though you have these, like, long conversations between sort of mag and dorian and you know sort of in an enclosed space like in the cab of the car it never feels obtrusive it just feels there and mm. you can you can sort of hear the conversation between these two characters and even though there is a lot of speech going on the best lettering will keep that unobtrusive and that's what it does here 
Yeah. Good job. Thank you. Um, one complaint I do have with lettering yeah. is in the final issue, I think it didn't... There, there's a kind of lengthy argument between Dorian and Mag. There is a very lengthy argument. <laughs> it is the climax of things, yes. That I think would have benefited from more... Um, proofreading, editorial type stuff. I, yes, I know what you are referring to, yes. It's nothing major, but there's just a few minor like hiccups with the language where it's like it says like an hospital rather than yeah. a hospital. Or... Yeah, an hospital. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and unfo- unfortunately, my like British mind reads it as yeah. getting proper cockney about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, you know happens to many creators i think yeah and also the fact that it is the last issue it does suggest that maybe there are time pressures and we need yeah. to finish this and therefore things get slipped through that perhaps wouldn't have done earlier on in definitely things. and i mean we know what we we write for the website constantly and uh, there are times where we write things that all the sp- all the spell checks in the world and all the grammar checks still go. Yep, yeah, you used all real <laughs> words, so it's fine. That must be what you meant. Yeah. So it's not a major complaint. It's just a thing that it happens. Yeah, it's checking these things as frequently as possible, I guess, and yeah, over checking. Because the other thing as well is when, and I find this when I'm doing reviews and I'm reading over it, my brain doesn't often read the whole word. People's brains yeah, tend you, to sort of, you, pick you, out... you read the first letter and the last letter and then you look at the middle and you think, that looks kind of right. That's not most of the right letters yeah. where I expect them to be. Yeah, which is why I often typo from as form. Because my brain sort of skips over that going, yeah, that's a word. It's, and the spell check says it's okay, therefore it's fine. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I I do the same thing all the time. Um, yeah. I don't know. It it's another. I guess it's a thing that would be ironed out if one person was writing and someone else was lettering. But if you're the writing and the, and lettering, the lettering, yeah, it's easy for though to not. Yeah, your brain has that. told you that this is correct. Therefore, it is correct. It probably is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. But overall, creatively, I think writing, arting, lettering, colouring, all yeah. stacks really nicely. I think um, as a creative team, Yolanda and Elisa are kind of cornering their part of the market, the kind of yep. um, LGBTQ rom-com territory, which... Yep. There aren't a ton of, especially not from, like, Image, I think. No, the, the, there's more from, like, smaller presses and independent... Smaller presses. Smaller presses. Um, small press and independent sort of stuff. And maybe some of the smaller indie publishers, but not so much, like I say, not so much Image, which is why it's nice to see mm. it being a bit more mainstream. Yeah, definitely. I think it's nice to introduce into Image or whatever indie company 
create your own company to have some titles that are a bit greater in variation i think we we get a lot of sci-fi we get a lot of horror we get a lot of action we get a lot of crime it's yeah. nice to kind of feature you know the romantic comedy side of things i mean obviously we've got other books at the moment we've got things like um sweet paprika by mika oh Adolfo, yeah who is also one of the variant cover artists for this um, coincidence i think not <laughs> also italian unless i'm mistaken yeah again probably not coincidence um but again, it's something we've talked about on previous episodes about wanting to see more European creators working in books that get released in English. So that's yep. good, both for I Think or Truth and Sweet Paprika. It's nice to see a crossover with things that we don't. We get so many American books that it is nice to have a different voice. It's nice to see you know, locations in Rome and Madrid and Paris that you might have been to. Yeah, I definitely, I was going through like, oh my goodness. I mean, I mean they... I've definitely done Paris yeah. and Madrid. But... Yeah, I've, do, I've done Rome, <laughs> so between us we're covered. But yeah, I was going there like, oh, they did Rome like the same order of touristy things I did. <laughs> but I think that is really interesting. I think it is nice to see, we see America so frequently. Yep. We see New York so <laughs> more accurately. Yeah. But it's nice to kind of see Europe. Yeah. And from people who've been to Europe. I, <laughs> people who know Europe. Uh, I know we talk about it a lot, but the art in that savage that issue of Savage, whether in, quote, whether in <laughs> God, air yeah. quotes, London. London, um, yes. It's just not London. It's just not it? London. It's an interpretation of what London could have looked like once. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see, hey, this is, you know, we've been to Rome. This is what Rome looks like. Yeah, we've been we've, to Paris. This yeah. is what Paris looks like, yeah. And even if it's things you've probably seen on TV or whatever, that's still, you know. Or in films. Yes, yes which is clearly what they're... We see, we see things that are well-known landmarks in Madrid, Paris, Rome. So it, that works. It's not... It's avoiding that generic kind of, this could be Rome. Yeah, this is vaguely looks like some sort of Colosseum. Yeah, it's nice to pin it down to, this is the thing. And yeah. you will recognise this thing because it is a known thing. Tourist attraction, location, landmark. What? Yeah. I know them all. Not them all. Yeah. I know a lot of them. <laughs> Weird kind of brag there. <laughs> Quite a lot of the words. Yeah, no words. Um, But yeah, although, although we started off by, you know, complaining that some threads aren't really tied off yeah. at the end. I think it is a satisfying story about Mag and Dorian and their you know, kind of spontaneous friendship, romance. Yeah. Or kind of unrealized romance, I guess. Yeah, there is. And, and it's not, I mean, it's got those classic romance tropes in there, like, you know, unrequited pining and sudden realization and, you know, dramatic reunions and 
those kinds of things. But it's nice to see them done like this because it does feel kind of... I mean, those tropes are as old as romantic comedies themselves. Um, so it's nice to have it done in an original way and also not a straight romance as well. Yeah. Because um, that, that's the thing because often romances tend to certainly sort of, if you're going down the heterosexual route, there's certain tropes that just hit and... It can get a little bit boring. Whereas here, even though these are old tropes, they're being interpreted in a different sort of way, but still completely recognisable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I guess, you know, putting a new spin on something we've seen a lot is... Yeah, half of what storytelling is. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> that thing we don't get enough LGBTQA plus. Uh, we don't get a lot of those kinds of book that just focus on those relations. To be fair, we don't get many of the straight version, I guess. But there's not many where you know you'll get like the token gay couple in a book, yeah. or you'll get oh yeah, you know this this character is you know by and is doing this and. You get little snippets, but it's nice to have it as an actual focus and it's nice to expand it out a bit because we all like a bit of romantic comedy. There's not enough of that generally in comics and there's not enough LGBTQA plus relationships in comics. So it's nice that this is this is definitely hitting an unrealised niche, mm. I think, Um because it is very relatable and we need more of this kind of book out there because there is a lot of... And I, I love the crime books. I like the sci-fi books. I like... You know, they're all good books, but it is nice to have something different that isn't just the same old stuff. Yeah, and also to give, you know, a gay romance a bit of a focus as yeah. opposed to, you know, just having it in the background. Also, I didn't get many of the movie references, not going to lie. It's hard to see all the films all the time. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I can understand that. I, I don't think I got everything, and I think that's probably quite normal. I, mm. I mean, don't worry, we know people who watch all the films all the time. Yes. So some people will get all the movie references. However, on the other hand the fact that we didn't get them doesn't take away from how good the book is. Also true. Which, that's good. It's a very good it's book. It's a good thing. Yeah. Despite the niggles that I have yeah, about I, the plot I at think the beginning, we, yeah. And I think those are going to be things that kind of anyone who reads this has complaints about, that the connections aren't necessarily made at the end with some of the earlier plot points. On the other hand, if the message, you know, is about leaving the past behind, there is no past, as we say yeah. in issue two, I think. Yep. That's, there's a charm to that. There's something to be said for the grander message being those things didn't matter. Still don't know what the thing about the bridge was, but... No, <laughs> just that's a Thelma and Louise reference is all I can Just wanted with. the Thelma and Louise. Yeah. Or Velma and Louise or whoever. Velma and Louise. Velma and Daphne. Um, 
but yeah, I'm not sure. There are there are parts of the plot that are a, a little bit abandoned. Issue five is good. Yeah, I, I think we see everything blow up. We kind of see Dorian's insecurities come to light after she's tried to play it cool and be, you know, fun and aloof for yeah the entire story. And we kind of see that Mags does care about her, and that's. You know, we get the grand gesture. And we do. We're all about that grand gesture. Yeah. That's the point. Oh. That, that's all. We're, we're rooting for them all the way. Um, I think it go. I mean, both this and Alice in Letterland, I think, do reach the conclusion that you probably expect. But I think that's also yeah. what you kind of want from most romantic comedies i don't think most yeah. people go into the romantic comedy looking for the swerve ending <laughs> oh yeah oh they're, they're not getting together oh they've gone off with someone else yeah i feel like there's definitely some romantic comedies where we get the swerve ending though i just can't think what. i feel like there are so i'm trying to think um yeah i'm trying to think i mean in a way i mean legally blonde isn't a romantic comedy <laughs> But, but in another way. But in another way, it's about a girl who goes to law school to be with the person she loves, and then she discovers she loves law more than him. So, yeah, okay, yeah. You know, that's very tenuous, and I wouldn't call it a romantic comedy. But perhaps not. But I, I get. But where you're coming from. it's that kind of trope. Is that you expect that perhaps? Oh, you know, he'll see her and and respect her, and no, she's like, hmm, sod it, I've got a better life now. I'm doing my own thing. I'm a lawyer. Bye bye. Legally Blonde is really good. It's a really good. I've not seen it in a it long is. time. It's a good but... film. <laughs> but that kind Didn't think of this podcast was no. going to become about Legally Blonde, <laughs> but who knew? The swerves. See, there's a swerve in itself. Yeah, there's a swerve. <laughs> but I'm trying to think. There must be some romantic comedies where they don't ultimately get together and it's uh, i'm trying to think of them i've seen so many and i can't remember forgetting sarah marshall he goes back to la and does the dracula musical but does he end up with mila kunis i think he does (laughs) damn (laughs) i can't remember i've forgotten most of that film um (laughs) i just remember the dracula musical (laughs) that might be part of the problem I don't remember the film. I remember um, the, the, Dracula the, the Dracula musical. Yeah, I'm sure there are some, but it does seem it does seem rare. If you can think of if a you, please let us romantic know. comedy with a swerve ending, hit us up at Bigger Than Capes on pretty much you know Instagram and Facebook, Twitter. Twitter. We could get TikTok any day now. <laughs> We've got a YouTube channel. Yeah, I've got a YouTube channel. Put it in the comments. Yeah, comment on yeah, the thing. The thing. Uh, yeah, but the the point of this swerve was that you want it generally you want the protagonists to get together, but you don't also want it to be easy for them. Like you do, that that's the whole point of sort of a romantic comedy in particular is you know there are obstacles in the way and hilarity ensues before inevitably get together but you genuinely do want these two to get together because you can see what they bring to each other and the relationship so it's Mm. good that we get spoilers we get a happy ending yes yeah we do which you know that's that's what you want right yeah 
That's what I was in it for. <laughs> I was, I mean, I was slightly concerned. That's another reason, like the beginning, I was like concerned, like, oh my goodness, what's what's happened? What's going on? And then the way it ends is absolutely fine because it's like, that's what I wanted out of this book and I got it. So it's all good. So it's all good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I... I do like this a lot. I maybe not as much as Alice in Leatherland. No, I think Alice in Leatherland feels plot-wise more secure because I don't think it's dealing with anything too deep, you know, basically Alice likes to write fairy tales on moves to San Francisco and stuff. Um whereas this has got the whole plot of, you know, Mags's research and uh, Dorian's illness and those kinds of things, whereas Alice in the Land feels a bit more straightforward. I mean, I, yeah. so I think I prefer it f- possibly for that. I mean, it's very sweet and lovely. And also I like the fairy tale stuff that goes on in Alice in Leatherland as well, where Alice just, you know, tells her story and, you know, we get the narration of what's going on through the her fairy tale eyes. So, yes, no, I, I, I agree. I think... That is really a really nice detail, and I think Alice is, sli- yeah, just tidier as a story. I think. Yeah, that's that's the word tidier. Yeah, I like to think I know some of the words, all the words I'm told. <laughs> all the words. Um, but would recommend both. I yeah. I don't know. I think we do a lot of horror and a lot of sci-fi, kind of on bigger than capes, and it's nice to yeah. do something more. I don't want to say laid back because it's not. <laughs> it's, you know, a kind of frantic uh, road trip across Europe with a lot of running, um, low key law breaking. And yeah, it is funny. I think the comedy does shine through a lot of the time. And yeah, the, the relationship building between the two is kind of slow at first, but then. By the end, it's quite clearly built up to and yeah. well structured, and feels quite real, which yeah is good. Like it is good. In conclusion, but good. In conclusion, but good. Yeah. <laughs> wow, some of the stuff we come out with is yeah. is not well well spoke. Like no, I mean it's barely English. Hey ho. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I. Lettering, colouring, writing, arting. All good. I yep. look forward to see what we'll get next from Yolanda and Elisa. I Yep. It w- whilst I'm not against a, you know, third romantic comedy, it would be nice to see something a little bit a little bit varied to see what what else they can do. Um I know Yolanda Zanfordino has Kate's Will coming out through Black Mask. So I guess we'll yeah. see. Maybe that's on the cards for a future episode. Who knows, Angela? Who knows? Who knows? Only the spreadsheet It's knows. a really good last couple of pages. It really is. It's some of the best last couple of pages you'll see in a romantic comedy comic. Yeah, I'll give yeah. you that. That's fair. There's not many of them. Um, it's a low group. There also there is also some really good variant covers. Uh, just very good covers in general. Yeah. 
I think having two artists writing and drawing make for, you know, a good variety of covers and then some of the variant covers as well are just really cool. That is true. I I like the wing mirrors. The wing mirrors are my favourite ones, yeah. Yeah, we've got a good balance between them. It'd be nice if you had like, yeah, just you could frame that and have them both on your wall, little wing mirrors. I do also like when we kind of see the character studies, character designs at the back, when we see like the scale difference between Mag and Dorian. Yeah. Because Dorian, there is a bit where Dorian gets out of the car and it's like, how tall are you? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. She just towers above above everyone. Yeah. Which, yeah, it, it it's good. And it, I feel like both characters have very considered aesthetics, even though Mag buys new clothes and kind of changes outfit quite frequently. Yeah. I mean, they, they both change outfit quite frequently. Frequently, yeah. We see a kind of more conservative aesthetic from Mag and a more kind of grungy punk kind of yeah. aesthetic with the... You know, torn jeans, Dot Martins, yeah, torn off leather jackets, jackets and stuff from Dorian. It's it's a good contrast, and I think we've talked in other books about the maybe not us particularly, but Matt, me, generally, all of us have touched on it. Uh, look at the microphone when you're speaking. <laughs> uh, we've all touched on previously, kind of the different detail in outfits and clothing, which is. Something we're seeing more and more of in comics, and it's good. I yeah, think I, I like the attention to, to detail. The first time, I think it was really noticeable for me is like Squirrel Girl, and yes, I think there's been an effort to pick that up at, by everyone. I mean, indie comics have tended to always do more attention to, to detail, detail for yeah. like things like that. Superheroes can only wear one outfit. We know this. Yeah, I mean, generally, <laughs> I'll just let me just go behind this city block and change outfits, and yet I'm the same hero, but you'll still recognize me. Always reminds me of, um, you know, the 90s Spider Man cartoon. I love that cartoon, yes. Uh, but Peter Parker, yeah, wears just wears the, one the outfit, same outfit, and the every whole time, time he changes, he walks out of the same woods wearing the same like polo shirt yeah. with the stripes across it. Even if wherever he's yeah. landed doesn't have a, a doesn't park have opposite, it, no. he always walks out of like a crop of tree, crop of trees, crop of trees, yeah, crop of trees. I'm saying that, yeah, make it happen. Um, it's nice to see that we don't get that as much anymore. That people go, hey, yeah, people wear different clothes Clo- some days. Yeah, the passage of time can actually be shown through the fact people change their outfits. Yeah, pretty is much it, is a thing. However, I, I do also like it when we get revisiting of when we revisit the fact that people still own the clothes they previously owned. Yes. I think a lot of um kind of efforts to show that people wear different clothes then forgets that but people only own so many clothes. Yeah. Don't change your outfit too often because no one has got a wardrobe that big. It's true. Makes you think. <laughs> Don't know about what. It does. But... does make you think. It just reminds me of, um, I had a discussion with someone at one point about uh, Bill and Ted. Yeah. In Excellent Adventure, 
first one. The first one, yeah. Ted has an orange shirt tied around his waist. Yes, he does. And then in Bogus Journey, yeah, has an has like an orange jacket shirt thing on with the big acid smiley on the back. Same shirt, and he's just added the patch. Or oh, there is <laughs> really a debate. uninteresting de- debate to have with someone. Is it a different? Shirt? Is it a different it shirt? See, my gut always said it was a different shirt. Like I don't know. But is it? Well, now I'm doubting myself. <laughs> I mean, in the first one, he also wears uh, like basketball shorts he does. over sweatpants that yeah. are rolled up, which is criminally insane. There's just. <laughs> I mean, it's a choice. It's a choice no one should make. No. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't realise that until I, I was Ted for a Halloween party at one point. I was like, oh, I have to wear rolled up sweatpants this doesn't with shorts work. over yeah. This is so awkward. Warm. That's, well, that's the major you know, there. which is good because Halloween is in autumn. <laughs> yeah. Slightly cooler time of year. So if if you came for the a thing called Truth Podcast <laughs> and, and <laughs> stayed for the Bill and Ted costume breakdown, <laughs> thank you. Um, yep. Uh, I mean, the segues go. That was an interesting one. Unlikely, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have bet on that at the start. We, you know, c- come for the comics, stay for Legally Blonde and Bill and Ted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't have a great deal more to say, really. I think I've kind of covered. Yeah, likewise, it's a good book. Yeah, I, yeah, I look forward to whatever we're going to get next. Yeah. And my only complaint here is that, yeah, I would have, I think this could have been an extra issue to tie up some of those loose ends. Agreed. But I also think it's important that if you are going to be a one volume book it's good to not outstay your welcome and kind of and have a good ending that people are going to be like yeah i'm satisfied with that ending yeah and i don't know i think more people need to you know take a break from all the all the classic kind of image titles and have some of the romantic comedy yeah have fun yeah fun is good sometimes (laughs) <laughs> on occasion. Nah, fun's always good. And I, I think comics get very serious sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes hide away from the let's just have a good time. Yeah. And the slight ridiculousness. So, um, on that note. Yeah. We have been Angela and Zach, collectively bigger than capes. Yeah. And we'll continue to be every week. Um,. <laughs> And remember that comics are bigger Bigger than than capes. capes.